July 1993, and you're listening to Snescapades Playing With Power, an episode of Snescapades where we take a break from the regular chronology of Super Nintendo games to discuss an issue of Nintendo Power and what was going on that month in history. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And for the first time in one of these, we have a guest with us, Trevor. Say hello. Hi, how's it going? I'm Trevor. Hey. Uh, that classic Snescapades character, Trevor. Uh, no, Trevor is here from the Catching Up on Cinema podcast. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, hopefully you can slip in like a Clarissa, Clarissa Explains It All-esque like guitar twang when I come in through the back window or something. <laughs> oh, that, that's good. I'm probably going to do that now, now that you've suggested it. Thank you for just that. Just a little bling. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here and for uh, agreeing to be the, the guinea pig for the the first time we're doing one of these with a guest. I appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate you having me. Uh, I always enjoy talking some games, and uh, I've really enjoyed our collaborations in the past. So uh, uh, this is a particular show format that I'm actually really excited to you know, be able to participate in because um, we were talking before the, the mics heated up about like video game magazines we had growing up. And uh, while I did not have a Nintendo Power subscription, I did have like one coveted issue. Uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, that I probably still have somewhere tucked away in a closet. That uh, you know, every once in a while, I really enjoy coming back to and leafing through. So this is this is a really fun walk down memory lane for me, and I'm really excited for the opportunity. Was that an issue of Nintendo Power or a, a different magazine? Uh, in this case, it was actually Nintendo Power. Ooh. It's the it's the only one I had in my youth. It was the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the the Ultra published game uh, oh. so that would be like konami in disguise game right not the arcade game so yeah the the one with the really hard uh water level right precisely yeah yeah yes yeah i i think that one had a, a howard and nestor comic featuring the ninja turtles if i'm not mistaken i think it had a a ninja gaiden uh comic it was like a, oh. they were filming a ninja gaiden movie and i think howard was supposed to be like uh, the Ryu Hayabusa character in it. It was really well drawn and actually a lot snappier than the than the one we get here. Yeah, the Nestor's Adventures comics we've read have all been rough. Like none of them have been really like top quality stuff. Yeah, once Howard left the comic, uh, it just wasn't quite the same after that. And I, I do think this might be the last year that Nestor is gracing the uh, the pages of Nintendo Power because I, I feel like they feel like he was out of there by the time the N64 came around at the very I least. I mean, he had he had to take a step back to to star in his uh Virtual Boy bowling game. So, you know, uh you can't you can't split split the the genius of Nestor among too many different too many different formats. That was the really weird thing too is that by the time he was in that Virtual Boy game, he was already kind of gone from the magazine, but that will have to be a story for a future episode of this show, I think. But uh, in any case, before we dive into the magazine proper, we need to go talk to somebody we have not heard from in a long time. We're going to go kick things over to Newsy really quick. It's July 1993. The firm starring Tom Cruise, Janine Triplehorn, and Gene Hackman opens and goes on to earn over $120 million. SWV hits the top of the charts for two weeks with their single, Week. And New Yorkers are in for a surprise as a Pizza Hut blimp adorned with advertising for its Bigfoot pizza springs a leak and crash lands on top of a Manhattan apartment building. Fortunately, no bystanders were hurt and the crew only suffered minor injuries. Back to you, Trevor, Emmy Zero, and Steampunk Link. <laughs> Thank you, Newsy. Uh, so, um, 
SWV, anybody familiar with them? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm familiar with the song, actually. It's pretty good. It's very much just like a, you know, kind of easy listening adult contemporary song that you would hear on uh, the PA system in like a, uh, a JCPenney's in, in this time period. But I, I like it OK. Yeah, I think as far as like girl R&B bands, I, I think like TLC gets a lot of the mind share from around this era. But I remember SWV from like a couple of years later when they put out an album that had a bunch of huge hip hop stars uh, guesting on various songs like Missy Elliott and Puff Daddy and Redman. Um, and I was I was pretty into hip hop around that time. So that was kind of like right up my alley. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm not too familiar with SWV. They also had that that Michael Jackson collaboration, the like human nature thing. Where, where they basically like spliced his song Human Nature with one of their own songs. And uh, that was a pretty big hit, too. I don't know. I, I don't have anything else to say about SWV, uh, Sisters with Voices. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, you got anything about SWV or just R&B from this time period in general? Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, I was around for sure, but uh, me and contemporary music uh, just have never really gotten along. I, I absorbed a handful of things through osmosis. I mean, Boys to Men was kind of inescapable when I was in grade school. Same goes for TLC, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls and whatnot. Like, you couldn't put on the radio without hearing it. Even I, who was, you know, mostly oblivious to that sort of thing, still got a taste of it. So I was aware of things like that that were mega hits, but I didn't really have any attachment to any of the artists or performers or anything. So that one actually, um, before the mics had heated up, I think... Uh, Emmy had mentioned, like, if I hear it, like, out in the wild, uh, there's a probably there's probably a very good chance I will recognize the. Yeah, I think this is one of those songs where, like, if you've heard if you if you hear it, you're like, oh, yes, I have heard this song before. But yeah, I'm sure that'll be the case with me. Uh, just off the top of my head, though, the, the name doesn't ring a bell. Uh, and uh, then we got the firm uh, coming out of those. That, uh, that was Tom Cruise, right? Tom Cruise. Correct. That's a that's a John Grisham story, right? Yeah, I, I know I know it primarily is a John Grisham story because I definitely read this book, but I did not see the movie. Uh, it's a solid movie, actually. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, it's a yeah. it's a Sidney Pollock. Um, oh yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. The the only thing I remember my dad liked this movie a lot, um, and because that makes sense, it's a very dad sort of movie. I think uh, the the only scene I remember from this movie is. Uh, when the the evil law firm is kind of seducing the Tom Cruise character and they show him like a bunch of sports cars and they're just like, pick one. It's yours. Essentially like car porn that the movie <laughs> indulges in there. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, uh, I don't really have any memories of, of this particular Grisham movie. There are there's so many movies based on John Grisham stories from this time period. There were a lot of John Grisham books coming out and my parents were really into them. So like, I think I read The Client in middle school uh -huh. and that was such a long book that I'm just like, well, this is going to be book report fodder for me for yeah. the next six years now. And I do think that I wrote book reports on The Client okay. in like middle school and twice in high school. Okay. Because like, look, if I'm going to spend that much time reading a book, it, I'm going to get some some mileage out of that. We had a uh, an audio book version of The Rainmaker because my, my family took a lot of cart long um, uh, road trips 
uh, when I was a kid. So we would listen to audiobooks uh, in the car a lot of the times. We had one of The Rainmaker. So that is the John Grisham story I am the most familiar with. Uh, that got turned into a Francis Ford Coppola movie. That's really weird, right? Yeah, it's a somewhat uneven movie, too. Well, I mean, yeah, a couple is like 90. I mean, it's not like a great period for for that dude's movies, to be fair. Um, like, I think this is around the time he also did the movie Jack. Uh, so it's uh, it's wild to think there were so many John Grisham uh, adaptations for like, you know, a decade and then never again. Yeah, And in fact, in 93, I think there were I think there was one other. Um, was it the Pelican Brief? I think you're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was there were so many. I mean, like, uh, uh, Trevor, you guys have, have you guys done just like a whole month of Grisham based movies? Like, because I feel like there's enough of them that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, I don't think we've covered a Grisham film. Uh, over the oh, course really? Of, <laughs> OK. Yeah. Over the course of our show's <laughs> history. But um, to be fair, I, I do enjoy some of them. I mean, they're they're They have kind of a, a Stephen mm-hmm. King style appeal to them. They're very cozy. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Remember Pizza Hut? I do. I I fondly remember Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut was like the pizza of childhood. It was. Absolutely. It was it was the go to pizza place. And they had, you know, strong product tie in like like it's funny because in childhood, I strongly associated them with the Ninja Turtles, though, to be honest, I think in the movies, uh, Domino's was the brand uh, that got mm-hmm. the actual advertising, but in the movies, yes. But in like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, the arcade game on the NES, there was Pizza Hut Absolutely. branding in the game, and I think like a a Pizza Hut coupon in the instruction manual. Yeah, yep. that's right. Yep. All over the place in the <laughs> yeah. background of that game. Like every every screen had at least two posters in the background of Pizza Hut, and uh, man, their their branding like. There was that phase in the 2000s when they started like uh, doing like joint ownership with like Taco Bell and whatnot. And their their branding got all colorful and friendly. It's like, no, man, I want that like intimidating, ominous, like black, red and white Pizza Hut. (laughs) Like like that. That was that was the stuff. But I haven't had a Pizza Hut pizza in probably a decade and a half, honestly. Uh, They also had the Book It program. Remember that? Oh, yeah, definitely. We all remember the Book It program, right? You read uh read enough books you get a free personal pan pizza from pizza hut (laughs) the best scam in history because it's like oh hey here's a here's a coupon for a free personal pan pizza kid so when your family takes you to pizza hut they still have to order food for everybody else uh but you get the the free pizza and like what are they gonna do not take you to pizza hut and not encourage you to keep reading america's families over a barrel there (laughs) um but yeah so this was like the the that this was high times for Pizza Hut, and you can tell because they had a blimp. <laughs> yeah, they had blimp money. That's how you can tell you've That's made right. it in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm kind of remembering this. Was like that like a, a the Bigfoot adorned blimp? Because like they had that Bigfoot it, pizza. It might have been. The Bigfoot, I know they were really they were really pushing the Bigfoot around this time, so uh, it, it could well have been that. And, uh, you know, I think that's just honestly kind of a delightful story to have for like July 4th. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, your your patriotism, you got your fireworks shows. You got a blimp landing in the middle of New York City accidentally because it, it uh, deflated. Wouldn't have been as delightful of a story if people had gotten hurt, but nobody got hurt. So that's really good. Yeah. 
that might be why we chose that story over a lot of other it, things that happened that month that it, were not it, so great. Could, who, who can say? <laughs> who can say? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't tell Newsy what to do. He just he just reports, you know, he just comes back and just, you know, he's got what he's got, you know. Man, that guy, uh, you know, he does not lose a step, I have to say. Like, it's been a little while since he's been called on, but he uh, he really brought it. Yeah, so. I was a little worried he was going to forget this morning because um, I, I had completely forgotten about it. But but luckily, he was all over it. So. That's good. He's a true pro, <laughs> true professional. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, hey, what do you say we uh, we crack open this issue? Or I guess we can first talk about the cover because uh, this cover. is a, a, yeah. a pretty big issue for Nintendo Power. This is kind of like their first big milestone issue where they're really looking back on the history of the magazine itself. Um, this is number 50. Number 50, Link's Awakening on the cover. We got an owl. We got a sword. A, a very expensive looking sword, by the by. That, that's... A very expensive. I don't think that would be comfortable to hold. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like getting stabbed with a sword like that. That's just going to add insult to entry. It's like, look how freaking rich I am. I don't even need to be bothering with any of this. And yet here I am still stabbing you with the sword. Like you said, 50th issue of Nintendo Power, five years, uh, which is a, a pretty long time for a big video game magazine, especially especially back in, in these days, so in those days. Yeah. So, And uh, I don't know who did the cover, but uh, I, I think this one looks pretty good. I like it. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. It's kind of better than the other Zelda related covers they've done so far. Uh, they didn't just hire like a dude to stand around in like really cheap link cosplay and get photographed. So they did a few covers like that. And we'll talk about one of them in particular because it's pretty interesting. Um, we'll probably diving into a, uh, a little bit of stuff that I know about these covers from a, um, a really cool Twitter and Instagram account called art of Nintendo power. Uh, this guy who's collected a lot of pieces of like physical media that were used in some of these covers. Um, we'll get there, but uh, yeah, y'all should be following him. Uh, he's just got some really cool content out there and a lot of really interesting historical stuff about the, uh, the art of Nintendo power. Your usual advertisements to open this one up. We got yelling guy. We've got guy with big ears. That's hilarious. And then we've got our table of contents. And then we got player's pulse. Uh, was anything that stood out in player's pulse? The uh, the letters to the editor here to anybody. The uh, envelope art showcase is something that really brought me back oh, to, uh, to game magazines mm-hmm. of this era. Absolutely. I, this is always one of my. This is like one of the things for like no matter what magazine it was, I always uh, remember the the envelope art section uh and these are like some some pretty good ones too uh, i really like this this mickey mouse one yeah. and this wario one the wario one is fantastic yeah um i i think that the tiny tunes are pretty good even though i, I think that those were probably all just traced but they're you know they still look quite good uh oh so there is so so actually there's one thing here that that's kind of interesting uh that i had never really even like considered before um, which is the person asking why the Super Nintendo controller has X and Y buttons on it. Uh, and the thing that's interesting is both the answer given and the fact that it is just straight up the answer. Like, it's not like, you know, obfuscated or anything. Um, it's uh, an an- the answer comes from like a, a, you know, product designer for Nintendo of America. And the answer is that X and Y uh, correspond to terms commonly used in CAD design and engineering. So they just put those on the controller. Um, 
And uh, I, I had never honestly considered that there was like a particular reason behind the X and Y buttons before. Yeah, no, I, I, I hadn't really thought about that either. And, and so that was really interesting to see. Um, we also have some Zelda jokes. And I always feel sorry for kids who do this sort of thing and Nintendo Power publishes them. And it's like, well, that's that's forever there now. <laughs> <laughs> there was a kid really early on who wrote like an 11 year old who wrote uh, uh, some Zelda rap lyrics. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, Nintendo Power just ruined that kid's oh, life. No. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 not good to put out in public like that. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't do that to a kid. I don't, even, I don't even think I understand the last one. What did Link say to Ganon when he captured Zelda? Leave her alone. I don't. I I think a lever might be the one of the weird names for like a common Zelda enemy. That would be my guess. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. They all have really weird names, uh, like the, the classic sort of Zelda, like trash enemies, basically. Mm-hmm. I think one of them's probably called a lead. Okay. Like I agree, though. That joke just doesn't really go. Well, this kind of wordplay in general is the kind of thing that I any any time I accidentally make a joke like this or something, I, I, I just have to, like, leave the room and just <laughs> it's like let myself know. It's like, you know, like you blew it, Trevor. You, it's OK. Yeah. Like, people my, forgive you. That was terrible. My my partner has a very particular look she gives me when I make a joke like yeah, that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's fair. It's deserved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a particular look that I give to people when they make jokes like that. <laughs> So we've got the uh, contest winner as well here, yeah, right? Yeah, contest uh, winner for... gets to meet Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, and uh, do Simpsony things over at the Fox office. Ah, remember The Simpsons? Yeah, it's really uh, a, a, a shame that that show ended after like nine seasons, and uh, we never got to see what else it could have done if it had if it had kept going for another thirty years, another twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one thing that that's kind of cute to point out about this, though, is, um, I mean, jokes aside, uh, we have Matt Groening and The Simpsons, and then there's also med- mention of Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, yeah. yes, that's right. <laughs> and it's just funny to note that it's like, huh, these are things that are shockingly still relevant in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Neil, Neil Patrick um, Harris and James B. Sicking. Yeah. Yeah. James be sicking <laughs> as as the bart man would say cool man <laughs> uh hey trevor have you guys done the simpsons movie on your show no <laughs> no we haven't done the simpsons movie because uh my regular co-host it's bad well i mean it's it's serviceable like I, 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 yeah it's, i kind of like the simpsons yeah, movie. It, 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 I, I watched it on an airplane it was okay for a two-hour ride <laughs> To be fair, the Simpsons movie is much better than anything the show was making at that time. Yes. So, you know, they did really try. We haven't covered the Simpsons movie because my uh, my regular co-host on Catching Up on Cinema, Kyle, um, I don't think he's particularly familiar with the Simpsons. I was raised on the Simpsons. Oh, like, yeah, I me was, too. I, uh-huh. I, I know it yeah. kind of frontwards and backwards, at least like the good parts anyway. The quote, good parts anyway. Sure, sure, um, sure. And honestly, by the time the movie came out, I was mostly checked out from the series. Um, like Emmy had just yeah, said, same, that same the movie here, yeah. is actually a step up in quality from what was being offered up on television at the time. Uh, so it, it's just like one of those things that it would be fun as a cultural artifact to talk about. Um, but it would be difficult because Kyle just doesn't have a base of knowledge. It's like, who's that? 
why is that funny? Who's what's that joke about? Like, I mean, as a production, there's certainly plenty to talk about. I do think it's funny that Emmy mentioned they tried, and it's like apparently their their version of trying involves recruiting like Hans Zimmer to do the score for the freaking Simpsons movie. <laughs> it's like what? No, you know what's real rough, and I didn't know this until fairly recently. Apparently, um, they like had like a fairly acrimonious parting of the ways with the guy who did the music for most of the, the, the tenure of the show. And now Hans Zimmer and his like, or really like the Hans Zimmer, like music production factory does the music for the TV show yeah, as well. That makes sense. And that sucks. Like that super sucks yeah, it, to me. It sucks for everybody because it, it leads to a more homogenized media landscape. Yeah. Everything starts to sound and look kind of the same. Which you know, makes it less in here. Yeah, yeah. A Royal Rumble. Uh, we just talked about that on our show uh, last last time. I think last. Yeah, time. it was it was in the very very previous episode that we did, and we both liked it. We thought it was a good game. Um, so you you were saying before we before we got on here, Trevor, you have. Uh, 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 you know, you have a knowledge base of of res- about wrestling. Uh, what what do you what do you think about this Royal Rumble game and about like this era of WWF? Uh, this was a curious era uh, in in the history of the WWF. Um, it was a transitional phase um, where a lot of the the old guard was starting to get phased out, and uh, WCW hadn't really gotten rolling. Uh, improper just yet uh, as Hulk Hogan hadn't jumped ship Um, but you had the situation where there was like a a split in the roster in the form of the the young up-and-comers who were just not able to get the spotlight just yet because the old timers like Hulk Hogan and whatnot hadn't hadn't quite vacated the the top of the pyramid Um, so like they were actually like overflowing with talent it was just more of a matter of uh, finding the right exposure uh, for them but uh, this game actually served as uh, a pretty good introductory point uh, for me personally uh, into the world of wrestling. Uh, my my brother uh, and I, we didn't really watch it in 1993, uh, WWF Wrestling, uh, because we just couldn't find the opportunity to, to watch it on television. Like, Dad, Dad, Dad had a baseball habit, and uh, 162 games a season, you know, it's, it's hard to find television time um, in, the, in the evenings. Uh, I'm so sorry. You know, it was okay. The Mariners were good back then, kind of. Uh, but um, so we didn't really have access to the, the TV show, uh, and we certainly didn't have access to pay-per-view. We, I mean, we did have a few instances where we put it on Scrambled. I, I don't know if either of you have that experience. Oh, yeah, that, def- that's a, definitely, yeah. That's a nostalgic memory that um, I, you know, it would be kind of cool to share that with with people who aren't familiar with how that worked, but... Um, I'll never forget the uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, the bite fight, uh, the rematch. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was watching that scrambled. So I just had like a few bits of the audio and it's like, I don't know what's happening, but certainly not boxing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all we're seeing on the screen is snow, you know. But um, so we we absolutely didn't really get to watch wrestling back in 93. But this game, uh, my brother rented it probably a couple of times and uh, we had tons of fun playing it. Um, it's mostly a button masher with you know some subtleties in the controls, but the roster was pretty pretty good. 
by any standard, honestly, uh, in the game. Um, and because it was a button masher for the most part, like I didn't really need to learn how to play in order to have a good time. And what's more, um, at that stage in my life, my parents were very keen on like having co-op games uh, in the house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, so yeah. my brother and I sense. would play uh, the Royal Rumble mode. And uh, there's no you're not obligated to fight each other until it's the last until it's the last two people standing. Uh, so what I would do is uh, I my brother knew how to play. I didn't. He was my big brother. He could beat me up as soon as the game is turned off. So I just like submit to him at the end. Um, <laughs> but until then, I'd be like his his bodyguard. I'd like keep people yeah. off his back and throw him out whenever I got an opportunity. And then it would just turn to the last two of us standing. And then I'd just like roll out of the ring, basically. <laughs> um, but it was good times. So, so who was your... Who was your wrestler of choice? Uh, My wrestler was assigned to me because, again, I had an older brother. <laughs> so I had to play Yokozuna because Yokozuna was the enforcer. Oh. And uh, um, it's funny, actually. Uh, our family, uh, we're big on Bret Hart. Uh, so my okay. brother would always pick Bret Hart. Um, there's there's a multitude of reasons for that. Um, but Bret Hart was kind of the guy in our household at the time. So my brother would usually pick him. And uh, funny enough, Yokozuna in wrestling at the time was kind of Bret Hart's rival. Um, in fact, I think it was that year's WrestleMania um, where the two of them would go head to head. Um, but when we were playing, we'd, we'd partner up. But yeah, Yokozuna was usually the guy I'd be assigned to. <laughs> I, I remember him being a pretty big name in wrestling. Cause I, I think he won the Royal Rumble the year that this came out. He did. Uh, he did win the Royal Rumble, and it's actually kind of curious because um, the previous year's Royal Rumble, so not the one that this one's associated with. Like, if you look at the branding for the cover art of this one, it's it's very strongly tied to the 93 Royal Rumble mm-hmm. um, and the roster is Well, actually, not the roster doesn't quite reflect the 93 Royal Rumble, but the 92 Royal Rumble is often thought of as, like, the, the very best of all time. Uh, so it's just kind of unfortunate that the, you know, we got the, they kind of the next the year's on, yeah. Le- the lesser iteration to tie. It's like, well, with. surely, surely after last year's Royal Rumble was so amazing, the next year's one is going to be just as good, even better, possibly, uh, <laughs> even better, possibly, possibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, one thing we we talked a little bit about uh, when we discussed this game is the fact that the Super Nintendo and Genesis versions of this actually had roster differences. They each had five exclusive wrestlers. Um, and my feeling was that based on my kind of limited knowledge of wrestling, but from just like being a kid in that time period and having like the cultural osmosis, uh, I, I was pretty sure that Super Nintendo got the better roster than the Genesis version. Yeah, I actually had to look it up uh, because I, I've never laid hands on the Genesis version of the game. Uh, and I, I did listen to your episode and I, I remember the two of you noting that and uh I'm looking at the differences in the roster right now, and I'm inclined to agree. Because the big, the big one is they got Hogan. <laughs> they got Hulk Hogan. Yeah. But then they got some I, other guys that aren't aren't anywhere in that that same, same you know, playing field. Yeah, I want to say that was probably the nature of the deal, where it's like the Genesis version, it's like some sort of negotiation was done where it's like, okay, we'll take all your, your busted toys from, back, from the back end of the closet, but... We get Hogan. Right. And it's like, okay, you get Hogan, fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder, though, because, I mean, it was the same company making it. And, I mean, uh, presumably, um, 
Acclaim would have just, you know, had the license and, and more or less carte blanche do whatever they wanted and put whoever they wanted in there. So I, I find it curious that like, I don't necessarily find it curious that they switched up the rosters because I figured, you know, their thinking was, Hey, we have more wrestlers represented across the brand that way. But I find it curious that they didn't put Hogan in both versions. Maybe it was a, a means of attracting people to the Genesis version. Um, Cause as far as I understand on a technical standpoint, that's the lesser iteration of the okay. game. So maybe they're like, this is a, this is kind of a lemon. How do we sell this? It's like, well, okay. let's uh, promise Hogan and make sure that he's not in the other. Right. I, I don't know entirely like what the deal would have been, you know, like how um, that business deal would have worked. If any individual wrestler might've had their own, uh, you know, their, their own, like let's say um if any individual wrestler had the agency to you know demand a different deal than everybody else it would have been hogan around this time i'd have i'd think in the same way that like you know michael jordan wasn't in nba jam because you know you could get the nba players association but michael jordan was another level you had to go to his people to get jordan yeah, no, I would imagine it would be similar but circumstances. Again, I don't know for sure. But uh, yeah, you know, we, we do have a lot of wrestlers, even guys that I do recognize, like uh, Ted DiBiase, Randy Savage, the uh, Slim Jim Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Ricard- R- Ricardo Flair, I believe, is uh, is his name. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Ricky Flair. Ricky Flair. Yeah. Uh, Bret Hart, do you know that guy? Uh, the Undertaker, I remember him. Um, he was wrestling until, like, relatively recently, wasn't he? I think he's still wrestling, Is he? actually. Yeah, but I think they don't really... I don't think... I don't know that he can... I think my understanding is that he maybe does more, like, kind of... Um, the Like, he appears in, like, the theatrical element of it, but doesn't do a lot of, like, real, actual wrestling at this point. He's a special event uh, these days. He's a special okay. event, yeah. Because um, couple... he's, he's not, like... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, a couple of years ago, I think um, they I think it was one of the covid uh, WrestleManias. Um, they they did a experimental segment where it was pre-taped. Right. Yes. So this it, is what I was it, thinking it, about. I remember hearing about yeah, this. That was, I think, supposed to be his last uh, wrestling match. And it was it was an event at WrestleMania. And for at least the past decade or so, that's kind of been his role in the company is to he had this this uh, phase of his career called the streak, where it's just one of those funny statistical anomalies that wasn't relevant. Like pe- like casual fans would not have cared at all about this until somebody did a little bit of digging and noticed, like, huh, the Undertaker's been active for X number of years, and to date he has yet to lose at a WrestleMania event. Um, so it became this thing where it's like, oh. Now that we have this big number that like, oh, he hasn't been defeated at this event for X number of years, um, that became the drama. Like that became the the story behind his character from year to year is like he won't be on the like the weekly show or anything. But as we head as we head towards WrestleMania, he'll start to make appearances at shows and then they'll hype up a match between him and some big monster character. And then it'll be like a, is he gonna lose this time? And then inevitably he did, but um, then then his career kind of just like 
dragged its leg behind it for the next couple of years afterwards it's like well the streak's over do we do we really care anymore and he's like old and like his knees are like bags of broken glass like, like do oh, we yeah. really want to see this anymore so i don't know if i don't know if a comeback is is in order but i wouldn't be surprised if they trot him out for like one or two more special events over the next few years or something yeah because i mean just when you think about like what this particular activity does to a person's body and i know at least one of these wrestlers is no longer with us uh, uh yokozuna i know is uh, passed away some time ago and are is anyone else from this roster like uh gone? Ran- randy savage yeah randy died. savage did oh yeah die of course years ago yeah unfortunately randy savage oh. is no longer with us i was i was really bummed yeah me too me. i remember i was at a party the day that got announced and it was just like me and like four other people being like man randy savage that's a bummer razor ramon uh was at death's door at one point but i believe he was saved by ddp yoga oh good uh, which has oh, saved many okay. wrestlers lives over the years um so i think he's actually on the upswing these hey, days good for him and uh mr perfect as well passed away several years ago kurt hennig so yeah a lot of them unfortunately are not with us anymore for, for all the claims like oh wrestling's fake and everything it's like yeah but this is, still takes you still can't do it like you know? <laughs> that's a good way of putting it it's like yeah but can you do it right exactly <laughs> I, I don't personally have a ton to say about like the the multi page spread about um, about the game that's here, but I do want to note that I, I do really like that all the captions for the photos are are written in the style of a wrestling announcer describing what's on screen. That's very good to me. Yeah, I I mean another wrestling personality who passed away very recently, Mean Gene Okerlund. I can kind of hear his voice. I can hear his mustache and his monkey butt hairdo in my <laughs> in my ear as I'm reading these descriptions of these characters. It's pretty wonderful. But um, one thing I will point out though is like I'm I'm actually somewhat impressed. Like normally, like a lot of these spreads for Nintendo Power, like at least the ones I've glanced at over the years, they. They tend to be fairly vague about things, but this one actually does have a few instances where it actually straight up tells you how to do some of the stuff. In the yes, game. it does. And actually, I wish I had read this before I played the game, because one of the things one of the things I noted in the episode was I couldn't figure out how to throw people out of the ring. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is specifically explained here in this section. So, yeah. yeah. And same with some of the finishing maneuvers as well. Not all of them, but some of them, it tells you what position you need to be in and what button you need to press. And it's like, wow, that's really, really helpful to get the most out of the game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, honestly, I, I I think if I had read this instead of the instruction manual before going into that game, I think I would have gotten a little bit more out of it because I, I do think that, yeah, they did a really good job of explaining how this game works. Uh, next up, we've got Run Saber. The mission is that the sub? No, I think that I, I think that's just a little. <laughs> I, I think that's just a little bit of awkward um, uh, visual design here. I think that's just the the subheading okay. for the little thing where they're describing the premise of the game. Oh, okay, yeah. Gotcha. I, yeah. I think I noticed uh, a couple of other quality control issues with this particular uh, yes. issue. Yeah, there's some typos <laughs> here and there in this one. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, in general, though, I actually do like the design of this this double page spread. We've got like uh, one of the characters kind of hanging from 
the lower like frame here, like she's like hand over hand, like making her way across the page. That's cool. Yeah, good old uh, Sheena there. We got Alan and Sheena, which is weird names for cyborg warriors, but you know we'll we'll run with it. Um, we'll run, run saber, saber with, with it, it. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> the cover art from the game up here on top, which is uh, some, so good, just so good, fantastic, like. 80s sci-fi cheese right there it's, it looks like an album cover or, or something i've got this blown up right now um i'm noticing like just under the alien's leg what looks like a signature julie okay cool julie 93 that's that's kind usually of oh, usually that's the art no... in these is not uh not actually signed so that's actually very cool yeah though again this is uh the cover art from the game that's this true that's true um, yeah something yeah, this is not something Nintendo yeah. Power commissioned, but the the characters that we see just kind of throughout the the next couple pages of this feature, I'm pretty sure are Nintendo Power originals. So I, I think they did a pretty good job of representing the characters here. Like Run Saber is a game we thought was very cool. They're pretty honest in the description here that the premise of this one is is not really up to much, but that the game itself is very cool and exciting and cinematic and yeah we got the kind of sort of standard nintendo power thing for a side scroller where they've they've done these big blowout uh spreads of of some of the levels with uh points of interest sort of marked out on them i love a cylinder mutant yeah i who doesn't love a cylinder <laughs> and a wall oppressor <laughs> yeah the wall oppressor yeah so they actually do have the names of a lot of the bosses in here and there are some very there's some wild ones. There's one in particular that the game th that the magazine notes is is extremely strange. Plasma face. We got S S Southern Jambalaya, I think, is the one that they Southern Jambalaya. That's the one. Uh... <laughs> Not like Southern, like Southern. Southern Jambalaya. Yeah, that's the one that they're like, yeah, this one's got a weird name. It's a big robot that's climbing up this thing. And uh, they do go through almost the whole game because this is a pretty short game. Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something else that they kind of note there. But yeah, we really liked this game when it came out. This one just kind of came out of nowhere for us because I don't I mean, I don't think I had really heard of this game or at least did not recall this game at all before getting into it. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The characters are very nimble. They've got a lot of actions available to them. It's very easy to control. And yeah, this was just a really fun game that I, I think. Did, did this one end up in our top 10? If not in the top 10, it was actually pretty close. Um, I'm kind of it's kind of surprising, though, because this game is like very similar to Strider, which is a very beloved game from this time period. And nobody really talks about this one the same way. Had you ever heard of this one, uh, Trevor? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I uh, had a friend who owned this one. We used to we used to play it two player together. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it is very, very short, but actually I don't. I rarely have a problem with short games. Like I actually like when a game knows what it is and what it's about. Yeah. I'm very much with you there. Yeah. It's like, I, I enjoy a, a simple game that focuses on doing its simple mechanics. Well, um, and this game delivers on that. I would very much rather have like the four good levels of run saber over the 16 levels of Bubsy, which gets talked about <laughs> later on in this issue. <laughs> Yeah, case in point, I, I've beaten Run Saber a couple of times with my friend back in the day. Um, I have played Bubsy many, many times at a different friend's house. I have I have never gotten anywhere in that game uh, just because I, I would get no, frustrated yeah. and, and bored, moreover. Yep. Yeah, we'll we'll have uh, some things to say about Bubsy in a little bit. But uh, but yeah, this Run Saber game is um, real great. Run, 
one thing I, I think is really interesting to point out about is uh, what Emmy had said about the comparison to Strider. Um, is that it's it's fascinating that Strider, you know, despite not being a Sega property, like at this stage in time, was kind of thought of as a, a Sega. I mean, it's a Capcom game, but it would. But but the Sega, the Genesis version was was the really good yeah, version. The, the Genesis so, port yeah. was the excellent version of the arcade game, and then furthermore, they also got sequels that were inferior sequels, but they were still sequels to Strider on the Genesis. And I mean, the NES Strider was nothing to write home about. So maybe Capcom got gun shy about putting that on further Nintendo consoles. I don't know, but. Um, this very much is kind of an answer to Strider. Um, and from a graphical standpoint, it does a lot of really cool things like, like the, the mode seven jet jet plane, uh, experience is, is yeah, tremendous. which they are sure to, which they, they are careful to highlight yeah. here as like a very cool thing. Cause like, why wouldn't you, you know, yeah. like, yeah, uh, beyond that, like some of the level design is, it's like, uh, a little too close for comfort like in, when you compare it to strider like there's there's a couple of levels where it's like this design looks ripped directly from the first level of strider uh-huh. <laughs> but it's not a knock on the game it's just a something you can't help but notice if you're familiar with both of them but um also like just from a conceptual standpoint and like a, a design standpoint there's something about it that's like really charming uh in that it reminds me of a lot of like anime uh, from the era where it's it's just kind of like a, a haphazardly thrown together like half idea that's like let's just take a bunch of art assets and like kind of put together a story and then make a 45 minute animation out of it and call it good <laughs> yeah the, no it, it has big like like 80s like bubble economy japan ova yeah, energy very much so. for sure yeah um, and it's like to take that even further like one thing that i've always thought was really fascinating about um games from this era um like we don't really have this problem anymore as far as i understand but um when you look at that cover art for run saber and then you look at the character designs there was always this issue about translating japanese art design or like mainstream like you know consumer art like japanese consumer art like anime and, and video game art translating it to to international or american audience standards yeah they they had to try to like fudge it enough so that it could look like just like a you know like an 80 like 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 a like a paperback sci-fi book cover yeah like something uh, with basically. fabio on the cover or something. <laughs> yeah right but like like what i'm talking about here is like it, it it reminds me of like some of the early Mega Man covers on nes like Mega Man 2 in particular where it's just like these character designs do not look good when you po- when you paint them in photorealistic fashion um, they're they're not meant for that and what's more like we look at this uh, character that it's a really cool element in the layout of the page where the the sheena character is going like hand over hand in the center of the of the page which is an important mechanic in the game so it's reflective of the material but what's funny is like they have it where they're wearing like a green scarf and they have blonde hair but i'm pretty sure that character just has green hair in the game i think you're right yeah <laughs> but it's like that's obscene we can't have that <laughs> <laughs> That's not a color for hair. It does feel like they tried to split the difference almost with this art between what the game seems to be and what the cover art wants us to think it is, you know? That's what it feels like to me. Like, the the Nintendo Power artists were just like, okay, well, here's our cover, but this is what the game looks like, so how do we meet this halfway? Maybe it was like an attempt to make the graphical style not conflict too much with that cover art. 
I will say the uh, the the drawing of Alan that is on page like 21 uh, does not look as cool as Alan in the game or Alan on the box art. Like he is in the middle in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of floating there. Like even the even the way his feet are positioned, it's like he doesn't know where he is. He's just caught in some dark dimension without gravity or, or floors. It looks like somebody was like doing a photo shoot with him. They were like, "Okay, just do like superhero stuff." Yeah, uh, just do uh, some poses. Uh, okay. We'll just keep um, the camera going, and yeah, just look somewhere between like you're ready to go and you really gotta jump in the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, side note, like tangent, I guess. Um, are either of you familiar with a YouTube channel called My Life in Gaming? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I believe so, yes. A really cool channel. They talk about a lot of technical stuff that I, I really enjoy hearing about uh, when it comes to like running older games on current hardware and whatnot. Um, but uh, they had an episode that was was this like really wonderful eye-opening moment for me um it's uh, dedicated to an artist by the name of uh, tom du bois um he did the american cover art for a lot of uh konami products uh, in the 90s um and i've always absolutely adored uh, his paintings i I, th- I thought when it comes to like translating to like a western style art uh for for cover art of the day he was kind of like the gold standard. Like his his stuff is always super eye catching, and um, it's not every day that I, I actually get to learn the name and like see the face of the person who made products like that. Um, they did like an interview with him that was really cool. That's really cool because yeah, one of the things that has been kind of a bummer for us, uh, especially when we do these these magazine episodes, is uh, just the fact that none of the like production art and like surrounding materials for these things tends to be credited so like if we see a really cool thing it's like well i i would like to know who did this the masthead for these just has you know like a list of animator or a list of uh, artists and um, you know with the exception of you know like the occasional poster or um comic they usually won't credit anybody specifically and i, I will say um Art of Nintendo Power uh, has talked about this sort of thing a little bit. He actually does not reveal the names of specific artists for different pieces because um, a lot of them don't really want to be internet famous for, you know, good reason. But yeah, so yeah, but it's, so I will say that there is mm, that. But it's cool that, that uh, my life in gaming was able to, to actually do an interview with, with the guy uh, who did those, those, uh, those cover art images. And, um, yeah, like it's especially noticeable, like when you can tell that there's like a particular artist that's been that's done a bunch of these. I think it's it's really cool to be able to like, you know, go out and like find them and like, you know, kind of get their perspective on the work itself. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I had a I had it happen like twice, like within the same year. It was really, really amazing uh, because once I actually learn who the person is i you know it makes it that much easier to track down their work um and i had a similar thing happen with a japanese artist named uh, noriyoshi orai uh who did a lot of koei uh cover art um and a lot of uh godzilla movie posters um i didn't learn his name uh, until he passed away but once i learned it i you better believe i ran out and gobbled up uh a couple of his art books and uh man they're some of the best purchases like some of the best things I've ever that's awesome that's really cool so you guys want to move on to 
Evo. Evo. Yeah, Evo. I could go for a good fighting game right now. <laughs> is Evo so, is Evo back? Because I know it was like. Oh, uh, I think Evo's still time. in some trouble, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, I was yeah. about to say. <laughs> um, okay, so like, are they in like financial trouble, or are they in like? No, oh, they did in, some pretty horrible they're, stuff. They're in some. Uh, the the person who was the main organizer for Evo what turned out to be a, 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 a garbage human, basically. Okay. Yeah. They're in, they're in capital T fun so. stuff. They're in numerous sponsors pulled out of Evo and many of their competitors refused to participate after knowing the things that the like people behind Evo had done. Basically. Why do so many people in games have to be garbage? <laughs> I, okay, anyway. Um, yeah. Evo, the search for Eden. Um, uh, great. It's another one of those wisdom tree games. Uh, no, no, it isn't because if it was, it wouldn't be in Nintendo power. So this one seems like it's kind of like a proto spore sort of situation. I'm not personally familiar with this game, though. I have heard of it before. It seems fascinating and also kind of a little difficult to describe successfully in the format that this magazine uses so props to them for trying yeah uh, they make good use of the visual elements because um they definitely there, do, there yeah. are a lot of mechanics in here that's like we we don't have the space and and our, our target readership is probably not gonna get it anyway but um they, they they try pretty hard to to like hammer it home via via you know pictograph and whatnot and and for the most part they're pretty successful um uh, Emmy, you just said you haven't played this link. Uh, do you have any background with Evo? Uh, no, none. Okay, uh, I guess I'm the only one in the room then that that has played this one. Wow, uh, we got the uh, right person for this issue. So, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, can, what, what? Can you describe this game to us? Like, how does this actually work in practice? Uh, well, mechanically, it handles like a like a side scrolling kind of platform. Okay. Although it begins in the ocean, so it handles kind of like a almost like a shooter then i guess huh? uh it handled there's no projectiles until later on in the game um, but early on you just kind of you have your mouth you have your jaws and it mm-hmm. begins in the ocean uh it even shows in that uh that diagram in the top right corner of, of the page there on page 23 um that that's kind of the level structure for the game mm-hmm. um so you you progress to all the different like evolutionary eras um, so you begin in the ocean and uh yeah it handles kind of like a a side scrolling like action game um and you acquire experience points that you can you can use to buy like you just hit the pause button it opens like a shop page um and all those uh green boxes there um, uh-huh. on page 22 those yeah. are the different um body parts that you can upgrade one at like individually okay. one at a time so you can cash in uh the points that you obtain via uh defeating enemies mm-hmm. Um, to upgrade different body parts um, one at a time. Um, and you, I, I think it's very apt that you mentioned Spore. This is very much kind of like a proto-Spore, although it's more, I guess, action-heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cubivore. But, yeah, <laughs> cubivore. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun game, but like uh, the mechanics are novel ideas that don't play out as well as you'd hope. Like on paper, it sounds fantastic. And mm-hmm. in fact, I, I rented this game uh, when I was a kid and 
I I adored it. Like I love this game. Like I was all about my zoo books and my dinosaurs. Oh yeah, back, back in the day. So this was exactly the kind of game that I could really get swept up in. Only problem is like the the grind is excessive. Like it takes a long time to earn right. enough that... points to buy anything. But the the big thing that they don't talk about here is that uh, the descriptions in the shop uh, for what body parts you're you're buying are named after the the animal like the species uh that you're borrowing it from what it doesn't tell you like if it's an upgrade or a downgrade or or a like anything of that nature it's just a name of a species so you're really just going in blind whenever you upgrade something and you're just hoping that the one that costs more and is further down the list is going to work out and sometimes uh, i'll tell you straight up it doesn't (laughs) Um, But uh, early on, there is like a little bit of a, a cheat you can do where um, any anytime you, you buy a horn, uh, horns can actually break in the game. Mm. Um, uh, anytime you upgrade them, they restore your health. Uh, so if you like if you're in the middle of a boss fight and you're just getting whooped, which is going to happen, like I'm it's I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the difficulty of this game when you get when you get in. Uh-huh. Uh, you're going to get you're going to get whooped pretty bad. Um uh, you can restore your health by buying a new horn yeah. like in, the, in the middle of the fight. Okay, that's good to know. Um, honestly, one of the things that, that's always been kind of true about RPGs that um, I, I guess kind of plays out here is that because you can grind, difficulty is a little bit adjustable. So, you know, that's that's kind of useful in most cases. But I think in this case, because it sounds like the system, the, the, the upgrades are so opaque, uh, I'm not sure if that really that really happens here. Yeah, uh, it, this game has very little respect for your time. I'll I'll just say that much. I I really want to love this game, and in fact, like on some level, I still do, just because of nostalgia. Like I, I it got to me at the right time, but like coming back to it, it's going to be hard. I wish I had played this as a kid. I think I would have thought this game was really interesting as a kid, even if I didn't get very far in it. It's very very charming. Um, some of like the arranged versions of the music are actually really lovely. The the ocean theme, like the very first level of the game has wonderful background music, but uh, some of the later stages have some of the most obnoxious Super Nintendo music. Oh of, boy. I, I can recall, honestly, like I think it's like, it might be the amphibian or the early dinosaur stages. It's just, it, mm, the, the tones they selected and the, mm-hmm. the, the shortness of the loop. It's, it's rough. Oh boy. That's, that's unfortunate. Uh, I love this picture, this drawing of, uh, the, the, the fish with the horn, uh, at the bottom of page 27. Uh, it is fantastic. Yeah. I wonder if that was like from, uh, I wonder if that was like a, a a game asset, like they use that in the instruction manual or on the back of the box or something. Cause it doesn't quite look like the... Nintendo power art for this one, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's that, really uh, good. That image under the title for the game yeah. is, is it's, its that... official cover art. Mm. By the way, anybody out there who cares to know, this game is obscenely expensive. Uh, yeah, right that's now. the main thing I know about this game is that it's exceptionally expensive to acquire like a copy mm-hmm. of this now. Yeah, uh, it's it's right up there with Snow Brothers for me. Oh, boy. Uh, like, in terms of like games from childhood rentals that i wish i had just straight up bought instead of like renting over and over and over again 
You know, I when I heard about this game, I assumed it was something like a like a Sim Earth kind of thing, until you know reading through the magazine and being like, oh, this is a side scroller. Okay, that's interesting. And I I will say like I do often lament that that I I'm disappointed by how many companies just couldn't think to put their ideas onto the Super Nintendo in any other form other than a side scroller. But I will also say that like I. I don't think Sim Earth on the Super Nintendo worked at all. So I think trying to do that sort of thing, but filtered through a side scroller, you know, that's that's got me a little more hopeful that this will be something, you know, like like one of those little just, oh, this is an interesting thing that is very unusual on the Super Nintendo. And yeah, I really like that. So, yeah, I mean, I would honestly argue that doing this concept as, as a side scroller is a, is kind of a more left field thing to yeah. to do with that idea than like um, a god game or something. So yeah. yeah, I guess I'm just putting that out there more as like a yes. I know I often say like oh everything's just got to be a side scroller, and I'm often complaining about that. I'm not necessarily saying that like nothing should have been a side scroller or that they're you know like sometimes things can't be side scrollers. It looks like it, this, you know, I, if Sim Earth could have done something where, it, you know, like the, the action, the way that game progressed was through side scrollers, I think it would have worked to that game's benefit. So yeah, uh, for, just, just, just before everybody, you know, yells at me on Twitter, basically <laughs> for what it's worth. I think uh, there's a turbo graphic 16 version of this game that is radically different from a mechanical standpoint. Um, I'm not sure if it goes more like straight up Sim but I, I think it, it varies like pretty radically from the Super Nintendo. That's version. interesting. Yeah. 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 That was, yeah. So this one's, this one's really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to tackling this one later on. I'm looking forward to both of your takes on it. Cause um, like I said, I, I, I can't not like this game, but I can acknowledge its flaws. Um, it, it, it got to me at the right age. Like I, it does hold a very special place in my heart, but like when, when I like really kind of actually like acknowledge what it is, it, it makes it hard for me to want to go back to it. Um, That's fair. (laughs) I think. Yeah. 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 It's kind of the way I feel about, uh, uh, Spider-Man and the (laughs) X-Men. Ooh. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I had a friend who had that one and, uh, I think it was Gambit and Cyclops' levels. We were just like, are are we gonna like are we really gonna spend gonna the whole do weekend the... doing this? <laughs> like, Those Cyclops <laughs> levels are really rough. They're really yeah. rough. <laughs> well, uh any final thoughts on that one? No. Nope. Well, you guys you guys ready to do a little little math problem here? It's uh education plus entertainment. What does that equal? Uh uh five. Yeah, good job. You did it. Woo, all right. <laughs> it's it's edutainment. It's edutainment time. It's time for a big old multi-page spread about uh, some games that are definitely edutainment and some <laughs> that I think are, are kind of they being are... forced into this box because they want to promote them a little bit more. Um, yeah, they are stretching what that word should probably mean. <laughs> um, yeah, this... This feature is a little strange, I have to say. Uh, so, I mean, I will say I'm a little bit cynical about edutainment stuff, especially from this era. Like, we all grew up playing things like the Oregon Trail at school. And, like, it was a cool game. It was fun. It was a fun little time waster. 
did we really learn all that much from the Oregon Trail outside of just like, oh, hey, here's a few landmarks that you might have passed if you were on the Oregon Trail? I mean, I think we all I think we all learned about the dangers of dysentery, <laughs> yes, yeah. certainly. Yeah, dysentery was the number one killer of every family I ever ran. Yeah, that. that's right. Yeah, yeah, same, same here. D- dysentery and and maybe sometimes rattlesnake bites, but yeah. uh, mostly dysentery. Um, you know, I think they were trying to feel out what was possible, what it was possible to do in a video game in terms of of teaching people stuff. And you know, the Oregon ta- Trail is maybe one of the. It may not be tremendously educational, but I think it's a much more solid concept for an education game than maybe like Mario is missing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and we've talked about, you know, like Mario is missing and the, the Carmen San Diego series. And I mean, the thing that the Carmen San Diego series had, you know, and, and again, we've talked about this before was the atlases. The big thing about Carmen San Diego was not necessarily that it was teaching you geography or history, but it's teaching you how to be a better researcher. And I think that is where the real, you know, value of, of, of that game as an educational tool comes from. And that's not something that Mario is missing really has. But yeah, so this uh, this is a multi-page section here where they they highlight a few different games and they have this kind of overall conceit of this like blonde school teacher lady who is is teaching uh, via these games. Um, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you what, what do you you guys think about uh, what we've what what we're being presented with here? The section hurts me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's it, rough. It, it it's hurts rough. Me to, yeah. To read this like when I was actually like legitimately reading this the other day, like I was just shaking my head and being like, what what is this? Like. This this whole section reeks of like an editorial mandate brought on by like par- parents yeah. groups of the day. It it really does. I mean, even the art is feels really like tossed off here. Like this lady looks horrifying from like most of the angles she's drawn yeah. from. Like they did like a first pass on this stuff and then never really tried to make it better just because they were like, uh, nobody's going to read this anyway. Like this is just going to be a thing they like skip through. And- um, and I think that like her cheesy dialogue sort of just goes on to, you know, uh, hammer home my point that I don't think these are very good educational tools because like the way that she's yeah like talking about them in a classroom setting just doesn't make sense. Like today we'll be studying Yoshi in Rome. It's like, yeah, it's funny to see Yoshi in Rome, but like, are you really learning anything useful about Rome through this game? No. Probably not. They, they do try pretty hard to make it clear that this is not a real Mario game. I, I do appreciate that. Like they do not want people to buy that game and then be angry at Nintendo for for not uh, getting a Mario game out. Yeah, because so. I remember renting that game and we were angry about it. <laughs> yep, I think most kids were. Yeah, so actually. I do appreciate them trying to get out in front of that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it might have been too little too late, even though I mean, we, we found some stuff that we thought was kind of charming about that game. But it, on the whole, it's 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 a bad Mario game and it's not a very good edutainment game either. I will say one of the few mentions of the Miracle Piano teaching system. Yeah, they tried, you know, I think to corral a few different types of games here that could vaguely be called educational. There's like the proper, like pure educate edutainment products like 
uh, Mario is missing, and where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? There's the Miracle Piano System. And then there's a few that I don't really think belong here, like SimCity, Mario Paint, and AeroBiz. Yeah, I mean, like... Uh, not even a little... No one, no one has ever looked at SimCity and been like, oh yeah, this is an educational I mean, I, I think game. giving kids a sandbox to sort of explore their creativity with something like Mario Paint can be very educational. Like, you know, I've, I've always said, like, I think you can use things like Minecraft in, uh, in classroom settings very easily. Yes, exactly. But, but yeah, yeah. But I don't think these are really things that fall under the the label of edutainment in any kind of believable yeah, way. Yeah, because Mario Paint isn't really going out of its way to teach you anything. Like, it's not going out of its way to teach you any kind of music theory so that you can apply to the music making section of that game. It's just saying, hey, right, here's yeah. the thing. You don't have any sharps or flats, but see what you can do with it. I mean, it is worth noting that the the non-educational games in this edutainment section are far and away the best games in this section. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like that, that Super Nintendo version of SimCity. Very good. But yeah, I watched a thing about just like vanilla SimCity. I, I can't remember what YouTube channel it was now, unfortunately, but they were saying that, like they honestly thought that the SNES version of SimCity might have been like the gold standard of like just straight up vanilla SimCity, which kind of surprised me, but I guess, you know, what I am thinking about a lot of the times is like, yeah, new iterations on it, like yeah. SimCity 2000 and things like that. Or was it 3000? Right. They, they, those both exist. Oh, okay. So, of course yeah, they do. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they also mention like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune in this section. Which, oh, like, they do, don't they? Like, yeah, come that's on, not, guys. Yeah. That's, in, if, come on. Yeah. Uh, come in on. Ready Player One world, uh, games like that are essential learning tools for young up and comers <laughs> trivia <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what that is I've never I've, I've, uh, we don't know what Ready Player One is uh, anyway speaking of the worst things ever uh, Bubsy's next oh god I hate looking at this guy like, I just hate his face. Uh, yeah. Uh, I... And I've played his game, and I know it's bad, so I hate the fact... This section seems to go on for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, they're really leaning into the cartooniness of everything. And, you know, I mean, hey, credit where credit is due. You know, there are a lot of animations in here that probably took a lot of work, and they had to cram a lot of sprites into a cart that, you know only has so much space for that at this at this point in time you know all that's impressive but this game isn't fun to play um like the fact that they made all these different ways for bubsy to die suddenly they put that out here yeah doesn't really like make he's the game got so many fun. different death animations <laughs> it's yeah i really didn't like this game and like, just nothing about Bubsy has, has ever made me think like, yeah, this is definitely a character that should keep having occasional revivals every decade or so. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you think about Bubsy, Trevor? Uh, I played a lot of Bubsy, but as I mentioned, I never got anywhere in no. Bubsy. It was just kind of like the game that like a certain friend of mine in grade school had. So it's just like, well, he's still asleep after a sleepover. I guess I'm gonna play Bubsy. <laughs> it's like so. It's just like the game that was available to me, and I, I never got further than a few levels in 
Um, but yeah, just like looking at the face and the design of the characters, like they're really obviously trying to chase that mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog. He's body. so cool. Like, he's spunky. He's yeah, he's spunky. He's sassy. He's up to no good. Um, he has kind of like proto DreamWorks face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got that smug uh, DreamWorks smile. Yeah, for but sure. it looks like maybe he he poked himself. Don't even you two cannot joke about this because you will somehow make a DreamWorks Bubsy movie oh happen. And I will not I be know. held I responsible. I think these days it would probably be uh, it probably be an Illumination Bubsy movie that would happen. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, no. but okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, which would, would not be better. I yeah. just got a terrible image. I just got a terrible image in my head of Bubsy flossing. No, I'm convinced <laughs> that in that Mario movie, we're going to get some flossing toads. That's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I don't yeah. want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> it, it... <laughs> Bubsy sucks. No, but Bubsy, like from a mechanical standpoint, it's weird because they, they have like the, the Sonic, the hedgehog, like got to go. He's fast. so fast. Yeah. He's too fast. He's too he's, fast. He's... And he's much too big to be as fast as he is. Yeah. And his hitbox is nebulous at best. Um, the death animations, like a lot of the game actually kind of makes me think that like naughty dog, like definitely took a, a good long look at Bubsy before they made crash Bandicoot. Yeah. I can believe <laughs> They're that. Like, let's, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's do this, but not that. Yeah. <laughs> not all of that. Bubsy absolutely looks like, I mean, this is a criticism that I lob at Sonic, which probably makes a lot of people angry, but I stand by it. Like the character looks like a bunch of just the most boring middle-aged white guys in suits got together and were like, so what are the kids going to like these days? And this was the result of them talking about this for an hour or so. Um, He's Poochie. He is Poochie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Poochie is is a a really great parody of this exact idea. I think Sonic is notable because Sonic actually worked for a lot of people. But I, I don't I don't think that Bubsy worked for anybody, frankly. No, I, I don't think anybody was truly a diehard fan of Bubsy. I, I want to say that Bubsy was like kind of similar to like a Cheetah Men or something where they 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 had like investors like piled up before the thing even got made. Right, right. It's like um, this product's going to sell. Yeah, they were banking on it becoming a thing that just never well, I mean, they did a uh, they did a cartoon pilot for it. They did. You know? they did yeah. yeah, there is a cartoon pilot. Ugh. Was it like Brian Kenny or whatever? I think uh, it was. It, well, Rob Rob Paulson did the voice of oh, Bubsy, okay. I think. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, not to totally derail us, but I'm just curious. Like, I don't, I don't recall if I've heard everybody's thoughts about Sonic because Link, you clearly not especially a fan. But Emmy, how about yourself? I uh, I I like Sonic. I had a Genesis. I was very very excited for Sonic. I watched his cartoons. Uh, I was, you know. Like, realistically, I never owned a Saturn back in the day, but if there had been a Sonic for the Saturn, like a real Sonic that wasn't like 3D Blast or Sonic Jam, I probably would have I would have convinced my parents to buy one. Yeah, for me. I, I've, I've come around on Sonic a little bit like I, his 2D games are just not for me. That's not really my kind of thing when it comes to side scrollers. But, you know, I. I accept that that's a me thing and not like a problem with Sonic is, is a brand. Yeah. My feeling about Sonic is like his influence on games of the time was probably not great because the, the almost nobody who tried to copy what Sonic was doing as a game really got it right. I mean, I think you could argue maybe like Sparkster is pretty good, 
but most of them ended up more like Bubsy than uh, than that. So, yeah, I honestly think Sonic is a really good design. I think his games have some of the best music of of the 16-bit era. And um, yeah, I think they're really I think that the old school 2D Sonic games are extremely fun to play for the most part. But uh, yeah, this ain't it, though. This, this, this guy ain't it. Where, where are you? When, how, how, how do you think? How do you feel about Sonic? Uh, I I didn't really have much access to a Genesis um, when I was young, so I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to Sonic. I did watch both of those cartoons. Uh-huh. Um, I, um, I didn't really get swept up in them. I did watch well, them prob- no, probably I, for I, a while. I think the secret is nobody really got swept up in those cartoons well that's They're that's what's always good. been curious that's what i've always been curious about those that the sonic fan base like, you there's, know, a fer- there's a it, fervor. It is, there is it is a fervent fan base i think that actually despite what i just said i think people did really like and get invested in the saturday morning sonic cartoon and like the archie comics yeah yeah um, that's what I was, know, I was about so, to mention which i never i actually that's the one bit i never did i never read the archie comics in the sonic universe you still have references to like sonic eating chili dogs and stuff from those cartoons were like, you know, Mario used to be obsessed with lasagna and those bad Mario cartoons with Captain Lou Albano, but you never hear about that being brought up in, in greater Mario canon no, anymore. No, so. that's true. Do the Mario needs to come back. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Swing your arms from side to side. <laughs> uh, do you think they'll reference that in the Mario movie? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Probably. So? Yeah. You know, I think the the Rock is already confirmed to be in there. I know uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper was on the show at oh, one man. point. I would not be surprised if WWE tries to get some promotional dollars mm, invested in that. Mario. Why didn't they just get another wrestler to play Mario? Why did it have to be? Okay, no, we can't go into that now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry for derailing us. I was just curious because <laughs> no, so- no, Sonic okay. came up, and Sonic's important to this era of gaming. Sonic is important. To this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sonic's absent. Like I was sort of. Uh, I, I don't remember if we were recording yet when I said this, but the the presence of Sonic and Sega can be very felt as an absence in this magazine sometimes like you can very clearly see them in this magazine frequently trying to avoid the distinguished competition in various ways yeah um when we get to the the preview section towards the end there's like one really oh yeah i'm pretty sure i know what you're talking about yeah yeah i i think you do yeah um yeah, we we can get off Bubsy. You know, we uh-huh. can get off Bubsy's back. Bubsy's had a rough road. Yeah, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? Bubsy. <laughs> Bubsy three D. Bubsy three D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like one more thing about Bubsy. I've I think I mention this every time Bubsy comes up, but I do want people to play this because it's very good and very funny. Uh, the best thing that has ever been associated with Bubsy is this bizarre free free to play. Um, I say free to play. It's it's just a, a a free indie game that came out some years ago called uh, I can't remember the exact name, but it's like Bubsy 3D. Uh, anniversary celebration. Bubsy visits the James Terrell art exhibit at the Los Angeles Museum of Modern Art. And uh, it is this deeply strange uh, game uh, about Bubsy visiting this art exhibit, uh, aging, uh, dealing with disappointments in life and eventually dying and being (laughs) reborn. It's very good, and everyone should play it because it, it's oh it's out there, and it's it's definitely the best thing that anyone's ever done with Bubsy. So yeah, 
<laughs> Maybe we're all a little bubsy. Maybe we're all a little bubsy. He destroys an Applebee's at one point, and it. Oh well, that's de- okay. You know what? Bubsy can't be all bad. Then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> Yeah, so the poster, it, it's um, all of the covers of Nintendo Power up to this point. Yeah, it is. Um, pretty cool. So, yeah, I think it's kind of neat. So the the TMNT, I guess this would have been, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Issue number six, Trevor, is that the one you had? Yes, it is. All right. The, the first issue that I got as a subscriber was the Final Fantasy Strategy Guide, which I still have. Um. It's got some very cool art in it. It's all very Western D&D looking stuff and does not look like uh-huh. Final Fantasy at all as we would know it today. But it's good, though. It's neat. That's a that's a pretty cool thing to get. I think just like as as like your first one, honestly, like I don't know if you had you played that game at all or had any experience with it or was this just was that really your way of experiencing that game at the time? That kind yeah. of was my way of experiencing the game. Honestly, I would not properly play a Final Fantasy game until Final Fantasy X. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's, that was my intro to Final Fantasy. I wouldn't really get into RPGs, honestly, into like Skies of Arcadia on the Dreamcast. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Around the same time then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so th- a lot of really cool covers. I really love a lot of these like, you know, molded sculpture covers that they did. Um, Again, talking about uh, Art of Nintendo Power, I believe he owns the Mario model from Mario Brothers 3 and Mario Paint covers. Um, and he, oh, he owns the pair of shoes in that track and oh, field wow. cover. Now, they have <laughs> they have mostly disintegrated by this point, uh-huh. but uh, he actually owns those those shoes with that, that had all of the that they just kind of pasted all the weird stuff onto to create that cover. Um, he's got the Dr. Wily from the Mega Man uh, cover right after the TMNT one. Uh, he has a replica of the mask that was used in Castlevania II Simon's Quest for the, the Dracula head, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he's just got a lot of really cool props. And he also has like some of the original um, paintings or, or you know drawings, whatever they were, of some of these covers, especially some of the later ones. Like I think he's got um, the Mickey's Magical Quest and the Pugsley Scavenger Hunt. Um, the I think he's got that Battle Toads and Double Dragon one that uh, that we were not crazy about. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's still a rough piece of art. I can't I can't lie. Yeah, yeah but um, um, he does have that Darkwing Duck cover, which is very good and looks very on model. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's very good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, just uh, a lot of really cool art. A lot of, you know, like a lot of really different stuff, you know, like you've got some that are, you know, the models, some that are drawings or paintings, some that are like mixed media. Um, one that appears to just be a a picture of Hulk Hogan. uh, uh whatever that move is called with where they haphazardly drew a, a super Nintendo controller in his hand. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's, 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 
folks at home it's hulk hogan busting out the leg drop on what appears to be earthquake but yeah he has like a looks like a lightning bolt encrusted super nintendo controller held aloft i I think like back in the day i was reading that as like he was like crushing it and it was so it was like making sparks come out of it or something as he was on his way down like it's what gives him his power <laughs> I love no no it's the it's the Photoshop blur effect of like yes. his legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought he got his power from pasta. Oh, he he said his prayers and took his vitamins, that's right. don't you know. <laughs> He's a real American and that's what a real American does. <laughs> we got Nestor, Nestor's adventures. Uh, uh yeah. I don't this is one of the ones where like a lot of these Nestor's Adventures comics have a joke in them that just doesn't really work. I don't even really get what the joke is supposed to be here. This is a mess. It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things going on. First, there's the very funny joke that, you know, a guy is fat, so he's only going to talk about food this entire time. Yeah. Uh, th- that's always hilarious. Um but I guess the joke is like, I mean, it's it's what it normally is. Nestor thinks he's an expert on something and it turns out, oh, no, he's not. And so, the ta- you know, he thinks he knows all about the Tasmanian devils and what they eat. But he's wrong because Taz comes up and carries him away. I guess the, the implication here being that Taz is going to devour a child. <laughs> <laughs> which that, I, I'm, I'm sure the folks at Warner Brothers were thrilled about. Which I gotta say, Godspeed, Taz. Free us from this little orange-haired goblin. Uh-huh. Um, hey. And I will say that the art is a like not to be overly critical, but it is not on par with with the one from my issue. Um, no, the Howard no. and Nestor comic from from the Ninja Turtles one is done by clearly yeah. by a different artist, and it's, it's just better put together. Even the even the sequential just like visual language of this is questionable. There's a real lack of clarity, absolutely, um, which you very much need for for like sight gag based humor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I'll say, like you know, I I like his take on the Tasmanian Devil. The Tasmanian Devil looks looks correct and, and pretty decent. But yeah, uh, him in motion is, is a little of... bit of a problem. But but, but him, is, yeah. but you're right. The last the last picture of the Tasmanian Devil carrying Nestor away. Taz is drawn pretty well there. No, he he looks like Taz. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But just his arrival and him, like he's supposed to be spinning. It just looks like he's like rocking back and forth really uh-huh. fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a good comic. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it really isn't. Um, it's short, though. I honestly don't even know why they kept doing the Nestor's Adventures, especially like when they started adding, you know, good comics to these, like the uh, like the Mario and Zelda ones. Which, as we'll learn about, apparently they got complaints about. Yeah. Oh, I got something to say about that. <laughs> but yeah, well, <laughs> well, I, well, I guess we'll get there right now because we are. Yeah, now... let's get there right now. It's it's this is uh, the next thing up is. 50 issues of Nintendo Power, A View from Inside Out, which is sort of the centerpiece um, of this issue. And it's uh, a retrospective about the magazine. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's neat getting to look back on the uh, on the magazine as a whole up to this point. Um, they offer a lot of really cool insights. Um, some of it is also just my jaded old person anti-capitalist brain can't help but think like uh this is some of this is kind of crappy actually uh yeah this whole idea of like oh hey we wanted to create something that you know we could help people know you know what the what the best games were and um 
you know, like when they talk about how like the, the George and Rob section didn't work out. Yeah. It has a very like, well, we're not making this for the critics. We're making it for the fans kind of thing. You know, of like no true Scotsmaning their way into like, oh, this is good. Actually, this thing that everybody says is objectively bad. I can't help but be a little bit cynical reading some of this, but hey, some of this stuff is interesting. Like the the thing about the, the Castlevania two cover, which like I guess a bunch of people kind of like what we were doing, you know, <laughs> uh, Nintendo Power or Nintendo's customer service division. I guess a lot of those guys back then were getting got, calls got about how, huh? how scary this cover was. Yeah, yeah, it's a little gory for Nintendo Power. I have to admit, um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I have to wonder how many actual kids had problems with this and how many of them were just like parents being like you can't sell this to my children yeah i i think that is probably more what was going on though i mean especially back in the nes like the audience for this magazine was probably skewing very pretty young, young yeah but, probably yeah. but yeah um interesting insight though also the the bit where they uh the 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 worst timing uh, robin hood prince of thieves the game itself was uh actually out six months after this uh, this game was uh, was on the cover. So interesting insight there uh, that like, yeah, that one that one didn't really work out timing wise. I'm still scratching my head about that whole Equinox thing, because like we, we've seen that. Ah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Come up so many times. But it like from what I can tell, that game didn't come out for years. So, yeah, makes me think of that. Um, yeah. Favorite column classified information. I'm not terribly surprised at that that was like the thing i would flip to first back when i used to get uh-huh. these um just to see like oh are any games that i'm playing like are there any special codes for them now that i need to know about yeah and i mean i think especially in like a pre-internet world that kind of stuff was very very popular in magazines so not a huge surprise that it was it was a big thing here um talking about you know their idea of, of having issues occasionally be strategy guides and then pivoting to what if we just sell the strategy guide separately you know, which uh, probably not a bad move. Uh, uh, some of the rejected things like games that make me hurl, which has very angry video game nerd vibes, but like decades before angry video game nerd. To be fair, also very Wayne's World vibes, though. So, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, like the Wayne's World game almost certainly would have been on that list, but also probably, yeah, as like what is essentially a propaganda magazine by the company that made the system. You probably just can't be, you know, crapping all over games like that in hope to maintain a good relationship with the people making games on your system. So Uh it's not too much of a mystery why that one didn't end up going to print. But yeah, we got some interesting things here that are, are kind of insights into how, uh, the readership was reacting to, this magazine uh the ones that stick out to me are the um the the fact that they got complaints about the celebrity uh profiles they were doing because sometimes they were very clearly not people who cared about video games um and also the the one that i alluded to before the fact that apparently people complained that the mario and zelda comics were taking up too much space in the magazine yeah I don't get this one at all. So uh, I, I know neither of you have probably read these comics, but like I, I've read the bits of the Mario comic that get shared on social media from time to time. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, no, honestly, like 
from what I remember of that comic, and I'd have to, you know, go back and read it again to see how well it holds up. But from what I remember of that comic, it was pretty funny. And I, I think a lot of those jokes still hold up reasonably well. You know, they, they're not going to like, you know, make you, you know, like actually laugh out loud, but you know, you'll, you'll probably get a chuckle. They're fun. Like, it's probably the best piece of non-video game Mario media that has ever been produced, and it's not even a contest, you know. But like that, that comic was legitimately pretty funny, and I and I thought it was really well drawn. It did like a lot of really weird things. It, it um, it was just fun. It was a really fun comic. It, um, you know, and, and I wasn't the biggest Zelda fan back then, but I thought even that comic was pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I also wonder if this is true, right? Like, did people actually have a problem with it or are they just trying to sell the idea that they, you know, maybe maybe making 24 pages of comics for for the magazine was too expensive that, and they had to cut it down to 12 and they're presenting this like it's a good. Thing. I, don't know. I, I, I don't know why they would have like made that up, though, like that. Just, I, I don't. It's a weird thing to make up, but I I don't know. It's a. But, but I mean, I guess that like what I'm getting at is like, I agree. It does seem strange that people would complain about that because I've never personally heard like just anecdotally anybody complain about those comics. So as we know from being on the Internet, people will complain about everything. I mean, I, I still think it's weird, but I, I do believe that that is probably why they cut down the amount of comics in the in the book after that first year of doing it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's a shame because it, those yeah. were pretty good. And, and, and the other thing about them is that like, they're one of the pieces of this magazine that I, I can't cast as quite as, as cynical an eye on like years after the fact, because it was just, you know, it was just adding value to the overall book. It was, it was just a fun thing. It, it wasn't yeah. necessarily trying to sell you something. Although I think later on you can actually buy from this issue, like hardcover copies of the comics, but yeah, I was going to say a few, a few, a few pages later, they will offer to sell you yes. digests of those um, comics. So yeah, but still it, it doesn't have like the, the, the crass late stage capitalism stink on it that some of these other features have, you know, reading them now uh -huh. in the year 2022, you know? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine they don't have like Malibu Stacy with a new hat introduced in every, right. in every issue or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah, my my guess, and I'll just cut it short, is uh, scheduling. Um, it, yeah, it, even among like the biggest of comics publishing houses, that's oftentimes what secures artists' work, like consistent work, is their ability to deliver mm -hmm. on time, on budget. For sure, yeah. Um, even not great artists, like yeah, just just being able to do that, like achieve that Herculean task from month to month or week to week. It's not something everybody can do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the the publishing schedule, that shift, like made them realize like, oh, crap, we need to have really high quality art. Yeah, we need to have high quality art from month to month. And uh, just just the demand was too high and it, it just wasn't reasonable, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I will say, I mean, like these are full color comics and they're always credited to like one guy. I think maybe the same guy across all three of the you know, major comics that they did in Nintendo power which you know, the Mario star Fox and Zelda. It's like, we got um, a real treat for you folks. We got the guy from wand of Gamelon to do our comics <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> on time on budget. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I always thought that like visually all three of those comics are, are very good. Yeah.
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they ever made the the Star Fox one in a in a you know a bound volume, but um, like I I own some other Nintendo related comics, and again, um, those comics are the best non video game. <laughs> thing that's ever been released by you know nintendo that's like telling a story like this like i've got um i've actually got a drawer of a thing that i bought like when i was uh, very young uh it's like a hardbound um uh digest of several nintendo comics from valiant um wow and and yeah they're, they're not great they're not great <laughs> there was like a, a mario land comic which was you know a weird thing to Probably, probably more, probably more in line with the TV well, show. The Mario right? Land comic was weird because it was about two kids from the real world who have Mario come out of their Game Boys. Um, oh no! Yeah, so that was weird. <laughs> um, the, the Zelda comics were very much like the Mario Super Show Zelda cartoons, which is to say, not good. Um, there was a Metroid comic that was fine, but not terribly impressive. There was Captain N. Um, Sure. You know, which uh, wasn't even as fun because they couldn't use uh, Mega Man or Simon Belmont. So, oh, in the comic they couldn't. Uh, no, because those were uh, not Nintendo characters. I know, so. but it's like you know, that's kind of like it's kind of the what, whole deal, right? It's kind yeah, of yeah. It's like half. That's like a third of your cast or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, they they made up for it by having Samus guest in one of them. Um, so that helped a bit. And then uh, oh, there was like a there's a weird Punch Out comic too, actually. I would uh, read that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's maybe kind of worth reading still, actually. Well, so uh, do uh, do either of you have anything else about this section that you want to point out before we move uh, on? I'll just point out that apparently they were extraordinarily high on Battletoads when it came out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Uh, um, kind of inclined to disagree with that. But yeah, when five nesters, it says, I mean, yeah. From an audiovisual standpoint, yeah. It's it's a very handsome title for its day on especially on the NES but um in terms sure. of playability uh you got to be you got to be made of some sterner stuff uh to truly enjoy Battletoads. I mean it, it's 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 almost it's the true, bugsy yeah. of its time, isn't it? Like it's very impressive, you know, like bringing the the sensibilities of a cartoon to a video game console, which at the time was very impressive, but yeah, play playability wise, I, I don't know if I if I would say it's something I'm all that eager to go back to. One thing it does have up on Bubsy is it is fun for one whole level. What? Why didn't they just want to make a brawler? Like I don't they know. did such they had such a strong first level as a brawler. Why didn't they just want to make a freaking brawler? Well, because that's... British games are awful and hateful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like unnecessarily quirky. Like it, it's it the the. The novelty factor is not worth. It's just not worth it. Um, actually, that's why like Battletoads and Double Dragon is probably my favorite Battletoads. Because it's just a this is a beat em up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it has a couple of deviations from that formula, but on the whole, it's largely playable. Um, and unlike the first Battletoads, playing it with a friend is largely advisable. Uh, there's only uh-huh. a couple of pit stops in the game that can really ruin your day uh-huh. if you have two people but for the most part you can actually enjoy it with your friend unlike the first battle toads that just doesn't want you to have fun if you're trying to play nope. it too yeah player. yeah that's kind of why i like the arcade game especially if you're playing it like where you can just keep putting credits in without it actually costing you money it, it's uh-huh. too long but um 
it's good for one playthrough for sure. That from a graphical and from an audiovisual standpoint, to me, that is what Battletoads should be. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. oof, that that game is so padded. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I've also, beaten it front to back once, and I yeah. don't think I can manage that again. And speaking of comics, I think that that Battletoads issue for the NES game also had some Battletoads comics sprinkled throughout that were not great. Yeah, um, the one issue of Nintendo Power that I had had uh, a Battletoads comic in it. Oh, well, there you go. Um, it wasn't very good. It featured a cow person being hit with a watermelon, though. Oh, well, always you know, fine, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something you can get in just any comic, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall we uh, Shall we move on, then? Uh I don't really have much to say about classified information. Uh, there's a lot of tips here for games that we've played. Um, I would probably have made good use of the 75 extra lives in Roadrunner's Death Valley Rally. Yeah, um, and I would also say, you know, like the, the Wayne's World stage select might be useful to anybody, um, except that every stage in that game is just as bad as all of the other stages. So, uh-huh. uh the sound you, you, in that game the level design is just it, it, yeah. it has it suffers from what like genesis disease where it's just like i have no idea where i'm no. supposed to be going no, and then, it's true you know, yeah and then just the presentation and the sound of that game it's one of the most obnoxious games to listen to it's awful yeah, yeah. it's it's truly uh truly horrible and, i own uh, it <laughs> i'm sorry uh, you've just spent your life trying to to offload it but but nobody would take it from you it's... i mean yeah <laughs> it's a fruit you, you were you were you were cursed by a witch to have a copy <laughs> of of wayne's world <laughs> i just have it in my back pocket and it's just it's just stuck there it can never yeah. go away it's the cat came back but wayne's world. that's right yeah that's right <laughs> Okay, so right now you're probably thinking, hey, the little progress thing on my podcast app is saying that the episode's almost over, but they've still got like half a magazine left to talk to. <laughs> left to talk to? Left to talk about. You know what? I'm leaving that in. I'm really tired because I've been editing this thing all day. Anyway, we all talked for so long. Uh, this would have easily been our longest episode ever. So we're actually just going to break it up into two parts. So uh, you can catch the next part next week. Uh, think of it like a uh, bonus episode, I guess. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool anyway. So uh, so yeah, uh, listen next week where we will uh, finish this conversation with our good friend Trevor about this issue of Nintendo Power. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking with Trevor. So big thanks to him again for joining us for this very long episode. Uh, and as always, you can find Trevor um, on his show, Catching Up on Cinema, wherever podcasts live. Um, he's also always talking about this thing called Cephalopod. Uh, I don't know what that is. Maybe I should Google it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, you can find me at Sinescapades on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, feel free to drop me a line if you feel so inclined. And uh, that's going to do it. We hope you guys enjoyed part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two. Until next time, for ME0, I'm Steampunk Link, reminding you to stay safe and play it loud. Bye.
Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Techno Axe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. That's T E K N O A X E.com. Uh, but yeah, the, the Simpsons movie is, is it's, a, it's a maybe. Um, may, maybe I'd have to have you folks on to talk about it because, like I said, Kyle's probably not up to the task, honestly. I, I would be happy to talk about that movie. So. Yeah, I, I would. I would be down for that. Well, um, if we do like an animation month, or if we, if the time is right, I'll, I'll certainly send out an invite. Okay, just be careful. If you do an animation month, we'll want to be on for all of them. So <laughs> it's like, and uh, guest starring on this week's episode is <sighs> Emmy and Link. Yeah, they're, they're back again. <laughs> they just, they just like pulled up into my living room and they, they just yeah. won't leave. They brought Pizza Hut and they keep ordering Pizza Hut. They, they just won't leave. They brought like a Genesis. A, <laughs> like a I don't have of, one of those. Like a couple of wild possums, they've been living in the walls for weeks, and I can't get them out. 